Hello everyone, this is Sakib hosting the show, Welcome, welcoming you to Tennis with an Accent. These are crazy, unprecedented times we are living through, there's no live sport, pretty much everyone is confined to home, even in a lockdown, and uh, we still try to do this podcast because I know there are a lot of tennis fans who are hungry, and I'm just trying to contribute my bit, and this Sunday morning, guess what, I'm really lucky, because this doesn't happen often that we get a current player from the ATP Tour. And uh, guess what, Robin Haza uh, from Netherlands has decided to join the podcast. We've been in touch with Robin for a few months as a uh, touring professional. He's busy. So finally, our calendars match. And here we are to give you a listening experience, hopefully one of a kind. On that note, uh, let me welcome my guest. Hello, Robin. How are you? Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. No, it's an honor. I'm more than media. I'm more than more a fan of the sport and I followed your career. I followed many careers and, you know, tennis is something I'm struggling to get without. I, I can't imagine what it's for like you because you do it for a living. That's your passion. But there, there are millions like me who are struggling to get without tennis. We are going to YouTube. We are watching old matches. So this is going to be fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, everyone uh, in a way yeah, is struggling, as you said. Uh, for me, um, uh, during the year, you, you have some weeks and you have some days where you actually take some time off. So for me, it has been now five, six days that I, I took some time off. So there, it, until now, there's not much of a difference for me. But I can, I can imagine that uh, because there's no other sports also that, uh, that everyone uh, kind of feels like, hey, yeah, we want we want to see something. Absolutely, but uh, you know our, our beloved sport tennis still found its way to be in the news with the decision coming from Roland Garros that you know we'll hold this tournament in uh, September, going into early October. Now there are similar news coming out of the Rome Masters. So as as a player, I mean, uh, uh, was this news to you? I know you are trying to rebuild your ranking, but Roland Garros is a huge tournament for all Europeans. So how surprised were you, like most of us, when you heard that news? Uh, yeah, I was uh, very surprised, a little bit uh, in shock. Um, I mean, uh, you can look at it very positive that you can uh, that you say, oh, great that uh, that they try to still hold the event this year and they they uh, they they want to make it happen for the players, for the fans, for for their own uh, people that they have on their uh, employment list. Um, however, I think in a situation that we're in right now where the whole world is, is affected, I think uh, one of the most important things is communication and, and that we uh, work out through problems and issues uh, with each other. And I, I find it uh, from the information I got very selfish from them. Um, and therefore, I don't think it's uh, actually uh, a good thing that they did it uh, the way they did it. And uh, Vasek Pospisil, among few other players, was, you know, these days everybody takes on social media and that's how uh, the news travels. And he uh, openly, you know, uh, uh, described his disdain for this decision. And uh, so this is, again, uh, a conversation that happens at the fan level, at the media level. Tennis itself is doesn't have one singular voice. There's so many voices, ITF, ATP, and then within the ITF, Grand Slams have the biggest shares. So, and then the player council issue has been there on, on the men's side. So, uh, do you think tennis should have like one voice? Because uh, this is again crazy times, but overall, this kind of an example proves the point that the sport can use one body instead of like so many different uh, organizations representing their interests. Yeah, of course, it's always difficult. Uh, I mean, you see also in other sports that there are one or two or maybe three uh, organizations that run the whole business uh, in tennis. Uh, as you said, there is the ATP, there is the ITF, there is the, the, the there are the Grand Slams. Um, um, in the end, it's I think it's a great tour. I think uh, we have a lot of fans. Uh, uh, people enjoy watching tennis, so so we have something really good. Uh, but of course, it can be better, and and probably it will be better if it's going to be only one organization. Um, that is going to be difficult, very difficult to have because you have so many stakeholders right now. Um, but uh, these things, like what happened now with the French Open, um, yeah, uh, it, it makes sense to at least address the situation that, uh, yeah, we should maybe have a f yeah, fewer stakeholders in, uh, in uh, running tennis. 
and you were on the player council and uh, you publicly you know made some statements but uh, let's talk about health of the sport i mean we are enjoying some of the best players of all time and these rivalries between you know djokovic nadal federer even murray when he was healthy the top men have become global superstars and they attracted many different fans from all over the world do you, do you think the atp is also in a good shape when we move beyond these guys of course novak and rafa are still a lot younger than roger so but the time will come so you think the sport has structured a package itself in a way uh, to be as successful mm-hmm. after this federer the, the big three phase um i think i think the the answer to this question uh, lies in the past um the same question uh, was raised when we had uh, agassi and sampras uh, the same question was asked when we had bjork uh, bjorn borg and and lendl uh, and those kinds of type of players so i guess uh, my short answer is no i don't think tennis has a problem i think um as an athlete you 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 cannot be bigger uh, than the sport however uh, yes we had or we still have some unbelievable players that we call the top 3 top 4 but even outside the top 4 we have players that won grand slams like Bavrinka that they're playing unbelievable nice and attractive tennis um, so we really going to miss those guys however if you look now already what's coming Uh, next with the next generation which i think is a great uh, move from the atp to 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 celebrate those young guns and uh, and i think having those already now and beating some of these guys is uh, is only good for tennis and i don't think uh, uh, it will be a bad thing uh, in the long run if 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 we if we don't have the top 3 anymore okay a couple more question on the council and then we can do a full robin hazard special like what i call these timeless episodes we'll get to your sure. career and your wins and your losses and everything so sure. when you made this public statement regarding the council few other players did that do you look back at these kind of things that uh, was it okay to not make it public or you were okay sharing this with fans because there are a lot of voices when this was happening and uh, we try to stay clear of the politics but uh, i want to just get your opinion you know do you look back at the decision and other players too like pospisel everyone was taking social media so you think that was uh, something that laundry could have been done in private or you think you owe it to the fans and or do you look back at the uh, decision differently um well i rarely use uh, social media for uh, public statements uh, this was one of the cases where i did i i think i did it in a very a respectful way uh um also uh informative way for for people to to understand why i i leave the leave the council and and i think it worked out fine and uh um of course the media tried to make something uh, more bigger out of it but i think uh, because of the statement and it was very clear um it, it got uh, calmed down very very quick Yeah, we are a very small unit. We are a public funded side and a lot of us have day jobs and we do it out of passion. We are fans at, at the core, so we try to stay from stirring the pot, but uh, I just wanted to get your your views on this situation. So, has the council progressed in a way that you have liked to see? Uh, uh are the changes in place or I know it's a work in progress, but what's your take on, you know, the last year and a half and is the ATP uh, you know, in in a better place right now? Oh I I I honestly cannot give you a good answer to that because uh, once I left uh, the council I I really left everything and I I wasn't involved at all uh, or almost at all uh, in the beginning I had a few phone calls of course uh, sometimes uh, it's funny I'm I've been in a council I think uh, like 8 years ago and then the last uh, last uh, year when i stepped out so but in between i wasn't in the council for 4 5 6 years and somehow uh, a lot of tennis players thought i uh, i was still in the council and even think that i'm still in the council now so i do get questions but i i am honestly not aware of everything that's going on anymore because uh, uh, i wanted to focus more on my own career and not uh, be part of the politics but what's the, if you have to pick one topic that's on the atp council table when you were there or which probably never dies what's one thing that's closest to your agenda that you think serves well if you want to share with us uh oh i mean uh, difficult uh, there were so many uh, topics uh, that i uh, suggested uh, 
but the problem, of course, is we all have limited time, and uh, because we have limited time, it's 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 very tough to um, to get to all these points. And 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 my points that I had were maybe uh, not as important as other topics, uh, and 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 therefore, um, uh, yeah, I I just. Uh, uh, at, the, at a certain moment, I just felt like, okay, if we never get to those points where I feel passionate about and where I, where I know I can represent others, um, then then it's uh, then it's worth the time I'm there. Um, but at, at the end, it didn't feel like that anymore. So that's why I, uh, I stepped out. And it can be envi- envi- um, environmental things. Uh, it can be rule changes. It can be stuff for challengers. Uh, so many topics. Okay, fair enough. So let's uh, switch to the main event, which is, you know, your tennis uh, career. So let's start with, which is a standard question on my show. And it's a very pertinent question. How did you get into the sport? I read your profile, did some research. Uh, Agassi was your idol, you ball boy from Marat Safin. So what are the earliest memories why you became a professional player? Um, well, I always make a joke uh, that my, uh, my, my parents, they found me at a tennis court in a, in a, box of balls <laughs> because uh, um, but uh, yeah when I was young uh, I have a I have to say that I have a six-year-older brother and a eight-year-older sister and uh, and my parents uh, they they moved a lot in the beginning of our childhood so one of the reasons to to go on a sport was, uh, or to, to do a sport was to get new friends uh, I was that little that I just uh, went along uh, and I think uh, yeah um, I, I can't remember much because I was two years old when I already walked and uh, played some tennis for the first time. But apparently uh, I wanted to play with everyone. And I, I just asked and asked and asked and bothered people to just play with me. And, and, and so that happened. And, and uh, three years later, when I was five years old, I already had my first uh, tennis tournament. Wow. So in, uh, in, in your country, you know, in the recent time, for the last two, dec- two decades or so, uh, Richard Krejcik has been, you know, a big, a big player. So, h- how is the tennis scene back home? And uh, did you feel, did you and Timo Debacher and uh, Seasling, all these other guys, slightly older or your generation, did you feel the pressure? Uh, was Krejcik a shadow, hard, too hard to escape? Because we don't hear about that. Like we've heard, Tommy Haas and Kiefer had to deal with so much pressure from the press following Becker, Steak, and Graf. So, what was uh, your connection uh, with with Krejcik and the media back home? Um, yeah, I mean, we had a, we call it in the, in Holland, we call it the golden, uh, um, uh, generation, which was Krejcik, Simmering, Hahers, Elting. Um, after that, there was, uh, Sheng Schalken who had an unbelievable career. Um, so it was, uh, it was something that I looked up to. Uh, I, I would almost say something that, uh, uh, I'm almost jealous of, of their career because they had such a nice career. Um, but, uh. I never saw it as pressure. Um, of course, uh, now and then it was quite annoying. I have to be honest. Uh, when the media always try to compare uh, them with me and with my career, uh, and most of the times it was, uh, um, let's say, always against me. So it was never uh, um, uh, something. If I achieved something that they never did, then I didn't hear anything. But I only hear it when when I don't achieve something that they did. So. Um, it, it wasn't easy uh, to to um, always have to deal with that, but it's also something that, as an athlete, you're used to pressure, um, and this is just a, yeah some part of it. Hmm. And what space does tennis occupy in the Dutch ecosystem of sports? I know football, soccer is number one clearly. Where does tennis rank? Suppose uh, your match with Nadal at Wimbledon uh, eight or nine years ago. Where does that kind of a match? Uh, get coverage in terms of newspapers or online or media or news? Well, uh, the soccer, as you said, is the number one sport. But then uh, after that, it's already tennis. So uh, tennis is a huge sport in Holland. Uh, uh, A lot of people play it. A lot of people want to watch it. The news coverage uh, got less. That's because uh, uh, nowadays everything is uh, um, you have to pay for to watch tennis. So it's not on the public uh, TV anymore. Um, the one match you just mentioned now that was against Nadal. Um, I was lucky in a way to that they that the national 
TV showed it because at that time, I think it was also the World Championships of Soccer or the European Championships. I'm not sure. So right before a game of Holland, my match was on TV. So I think a few million people watched that match and it was uh, uh, even postponed because, uh, 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 or the, the, how do you say, the, the coverage of the soccer was postponed a little bit because I made it into five sets. Unlucky I lost, but uh, yeah, that was some, uh, some great experience uh, for me to be out there on Senecor to play five sets against uh, Nadal. Yeah, let's take a little dive into that match. So what, I mean, again, you're a professional sport uh, sports player and, a win is a win and a loss is just a loss. But where does that match fit into your memories of tennis and your achievements? Uh, maybe fans like us remember that, but it was still a loss. How do you remember that match, mixing with one of the best players in the world on, on, on the biggest of courts? Uh, I mean, that was uh, it was great. Uh, the whole experience was great. Uh, a few things that I remember of that match and that might be quite interesting for some fans. Uh, uh, there's always a little bit of a psychology game uh, going on uh, especially on those big courts uh, before I uh, went on court I was waiting for uh, Rafa uh, already a couple of minutes I think it was almost up to uh, 10 minutes that he let me wait to to go on court um, that's that's almost that's that's it could be a part of the trick to to uh, from an opponent to, uh, to get um, so I feel more tension I get more nerves but the more I was standing there, the more I actually got excited to play against him. And uh, and I remember that when I went on court uh, and and he got the big applause, I was like I, I was ready to 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 battle against him. And I I, I remember that in the first three games I already hit uh, eight aces. Uh, I remember in the third set I hit four aces in a row, which I think uh, happened only three times in my career. So I will never forget that one. Um, was it was it center court or court one? Um, I believe I'm not even sure. I played on both, uh, but I'm not even sure which one was this. I, I believe it was a center court, um, but I, could, I I might be wrong. Maybe it was court one actually. Uh, so that that that's funny that I don't even remember that part. But what I do remember is that uh, I lost in five sets. I shook his hand. I went to the locker room, and I said to my coach, "Too good." I did nothing wrong today, uh, and he was just better. And uh, and that rarely happens in tennis that you shake your opponent's uh, uh, hand and that you really don't almost or that you don't have any regrets at all. Um, uh, I think I can I can count those matches uh, on one hand. Mm. And that was also on the heels of your comeback, right? Because you had a couple of knee surgeries in 2008 and 2009. Is that correct? And then this match is 20, uh, 2010. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I got injured in, uh, in the middle of 2008 or actually in like March, April of 2008. Then I, I tried to play the Olympics uh, and I was the doctors told me that I was able to play. Uh, and then I played on for another two and a half months until I played one tournament and my uh, my knee just completely blocked. So I really needed the surgery immediately. Um, then I was out for one and a half years, which was a very, very tough time. I, I wasn't sure if I would be able to, to play ever again. Um, and then in 2010, I, I finally made a comeback and, uh, and it was a great year. I play, I won, I think five challengers that year. I played, uh, this match against Nadal I, in the previous round in Wimbledon. I beat James Blake, um, many, many things that, uh, that worked out there for me in that year. And that was a great uh, just to be back and then from zero to, I think, 68 in one year was uh, an unbelievable achievement. It is. And sometimes, you know, I, 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 I can't say that enough. I mean, most fans are, because the big names draw, you know, a lot of casual fans and fans into the sport. But these stories are so phenomenal to, to you know, rank 68 after your knee surgery, winning titles. And uh, more and more fans that I engage with now are following the Challenger Tour and uh, people appreciate, you know, what the life is beyond the center court. And uh, you said something interesting when Nadal made you wait. You were more fired up and you competed well, you hit aces. So uh, I've noticed, Robin, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I've watched a lot of professional mm-hmm. tennis. Uh, uh, the outside courts at a Grand Slam has, you know, different environment and the big courts, of course, are big. And similarly on the tour, when there are smaller tournaments, you are playing it in front of less crowd. 
So to me, that's like two tours by itself. In the same tournament, when Nadal or Federer are playing, it's packed house, and then there could be a match outside, say, between player X and uh, Y, and then it's a different crowd. So did you struggle to go to the big courts? Because I know some people have said in the past, like, you know, it takes time to get used to the Arthur Ashe or Centre Court or Rod Laver Arena, or what's the transition when you don't play on those courts enough? And the only time you go there is against a Djokovic or a Zverev or someone big. Talk about that. Yeah, um, I completely understand that uh, that that players uh, have struggled uh, to play on these big courts. That uh, that they maybe uh, had to really get adjusted, needed a few matches to play well on these kind of courts. Um, I actually never had that problem, so I was lucky in a way. Um, I one of the reasons why I play tennis or why I wanted to play tennis is to entertain people and and uh, and to entertain people yeah the bigger the stage the nicer it is actually so um, so for me this was uh, this was something that I, I always looked forward to so one once th- actually I was on these courts I was ready to to play and, and show my skills no definitely you were made for the big scene and I was a witness myself uh, again I'm going to bring something interesting here uh, 2016, that's the only time I've gone to Roland Garros. And I was waiting in line for two hours to get on court two, I believe. And then I saw Raonic uh, win a match. And then Jack Sock and you walk out to finish the first round. It was, I think, uh, in the fourth set or... Yeah, it uh, was... Fifth set. Fifth, fifth set, set yeah. yeah. And then something happened. I mean, Jack Sock started behaving, you know, against the crowd. I don't know. He started fist pumping in your face. And it was just bizarre. I was watching it live without commentary. And then you lost the match, but then you did something funny. After the shaking hands, you you went to the crowd first and greeted like you had won the match, and he got booed. So do you remember that match? And uh, was there something that had gotten personal between you both, like from a previous match, or it was just in the contest, in the heat of the moment thing? Talk about that match if you can. Yeah, that match, uh, yeah, I definitely remember that match. That was one of the, the hardest match I ever had to play uh, 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 mental, mentally wise, uh, uh, just previous, uh, two months before that, uh, my coach got arrested for a murder of, uh, of a friend of mine, um, uh, which now of course is my ex coach. Um, uh, and until that moment, until the French open, I, I only had one interview and I never talked to the press before. So when this match was, I knew of course that after the match, no matter what happens, I have to do a press conference. Um, so I was I was actually really nervous about that. Uh, I think I went uh, 40 times to the bathroom in three days before the match. So I was uh, kind of uh, low on energy. Uh, somehow I I played a good match. Um, the, the the few matches before French Open, I actually really played really really bad. Uh, I wasn't focused. I wasn't concentrated. So I was a very tough part of my career. Uh, and then during this match. Uh, uh, the crowd, a lot of Dutch people were standing behind me, helping me through the match. And as yeah, you said, he started it, to to It felt like a Davis Cup match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it started to uh, yeah to be a little bit more like a Davis Cup match, and it was great. And uh, of course, he really wanted to win, and uh, he started to misbehave a little bit. Uh, uh, that happens. Uh, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a saint on court as well, so uh, I, I I I I didn't have any problems and issues with him after. Uh, the one thing is that he got booed right away, and uh, and I I felt so um, appreciated uh, by the Dutch fans that immediately I, I said uh, thank you, and it looked like I won the match, and that's how it felt. And for me, it was also a victory because uh, of the tough times I had uh, back then. Oh, th- thanks for sharing that. I didn't know. I thought there was just a match going on, but this is again a classic example. We don't know what a player is going through, and thanks for sharing that kind of an experience. So I had no, no idea. Problem. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So, so yeah, again, uh, going back to that tournament, uh, that was my first time, and it. Uh, my friends asked me what was it like. I said, compared to the U.S. Open, which I've attended like a dozen times, the French Open felt like a World Cup of, uh, you know, like a soccer. I've never been to a World Cup, but it felt like there were a lot of Dutch fans. There were Spanish fans. There were fans from Argentina. Same thing happened at the U.S. Open, but French Open had a very different feel, even from the crowd angle that uh, I was going from court to court. And like you said, uh, it was like a Davis Cup environment. Uh, so how, how big is French Open to in your calendar? I talked to Goffin once, and Goffin said that's the closest thing to a home slam. So do the Dutch players have the same 
connection to Roland Garros or what is your favorite tournament uh, in, at the majors? Um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I agree with David that it's a kind of the home slam for, for, for the Dutch people as well. A lot of people are coming there to, to support us. And, uh, I even talked to the tournament director uh, that every year when I was not playing a seated player, I was playing on the, on these little courts um, and I told them there are hundreds and hundreds of people that that are actually wanting to to watch the match. So uh, why isn't that the Dutch or the Belgian players don't get bigger courts? And uh, and Guy Forcher actually listened to that. And, and since then, I've played on bigger courts and they're always full. So it's, it's a great experience and it's very nice. Um, however, for me, it's very tough to, to compare um, the Grand Slams because they're such unique events. They all have their... Um, they're special uh, things. I mean, the, the Wimbledon is a tradition. Uh, French Open is a little bit smaller. US Open is, 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 is fan-wise, it's really great. But if I have to choose one just about the feel, I would choose Australia as my favorite Grand Slam. Why is that? Just because it's a happy slam or first slam of the year? Or what stands out? Um, I guess in all the other uh, all the other tournaments, well, not, not at the US Open, but uh, at Wimbledon, uh, it can be it can be such a long wait because of the weather. Uh, French Open the same. It can be really cold some years. Uh, and in Australia, you just kind of know what you get. Uh, the the hotels and everything uh, where you can eat is very nice. Uh, New York, of course, great city, uh, but it's also very hectic. And as, as the tournament goes on, you 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 kind of need your rest. So sometimes it's a little bit too much. Okay, so one more question to the same tournament. I was, uh, you know, there five days and I was following Feliciano Lopez. He was going to a practice court. As a fan, I just wanted to get like a selfie, which of course never happened. But uh, he was talking to an organizer and I overheard the uh, conversation. He said, oh, I'm a singles player too. Basically, he was asking for a practice court and he got really mad when they were, I think, offering him a doubles scenario for a practice like four players practicing before a match and he said uh, he, he got pretty animated he said what do you mean i'm not a singles player i'm a th- top 32 player i think he was a seed then and similarly then two days later ernest gulbis who was a former top 10 player making a run uh, in 2016 he said the same thing he said that the practice facility is not uh, very democratic the top guys get hours on a big court we are not even getting like a proper court where our family and coaches can sit so Talk about that. I mean, you've gone through the grind. You've risen to, you know, the top 40 of the rankings, but you've also spent a lot of time, you know, trying to make a living on the tour and playing challenging tour, challenger tour. So do these conversations, it was news to me, but do you have also encountered similar challenges all over, not Roland Garros, every, everywhere where uh, you have to fight for practice time? Uh, are certain tournaments better than the others? Talk about this experience, maybe not just Roland Garros overall. How's uh, these things work out for a player who's not answer to the name of Federer or Nadal? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess uh, tennis is just the same as uh, the whole the whole world, uh, how, how it just goes. Um, if, you, if you're a top guy, you, get, you have privileges, you get more, uh, and that's the same in tennis. Uh, um, yeah, they, they, it's tougher to get practice courts. Uh, uh, as you said, some tournaments are much better than others. Uh, some they 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 have worked out a great system, but uh, other tournaments are are struggling. And uh, some tournaments are, uh, uh, as I said, uh, for example, uh, the are very nice for fans, but actually not as great uh, for players, uh, especially if it comes to practice. But that's just the way it is. That's something uh, we got to live with. Um, it's something that. Uh, we 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 did talk about in the in the player council, and it's it it has been a topic for uh, a few years now that uh, uh, that these things could be much better than they are now. Is it a stop on the tour that's best for these kind of requests? Is it is Indian Wells one of those tournaments where everybody gets what they want? At least it seems like that uh, to us uh, outside the tennis world. So, is there any tournament that can accommodate almost everyone's requests and everybody leaves happy? Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, Indian Wells, uh, it's a great tournament when it comes to that. Uh, uh, they have so much space. They have so much room for all these kind of extra things. So, uh, yeah, it kind of works there for sure. Um, um, but, yeah, other tournaments, they, they just don't have the, the, the facilities. 
to 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 actually help everyone and then and, and then they yeah then these these situations occur that the top players get the uh, better situations than the other guys. Hmm. All right, so let's move on to Montreal 2017. I was there in the media capacity, and I even asked you a couple of questions. You probably won't remember in the press when you made the semis. I asked you a yeah. question about Debacker, and uh, you know, you said yeah, he was going through some injuries, and you know, you're still close. You will be in the Davis Cup, uh, etc. Uh, team. Uh, so how, when you look back at that week, you lost to Federer. Uh, how big is that week in grand scheme of things? Even though you have won a couple of titles on the tour, uh, but w- w- where does that week rank in your ability and your Reminder to yourself that you can play tennis at the highest level because Masters 1000s are, are tough too because you're playing almost every day. Unlike Grand Slam, you take a day off in between. Talk about that week. Yeah, for me, I think that was, uh, was my best achievement of my career. Uh, that was something very special. In the beginning of the, of the interview, I, I talked about the golden generation and I talked, for example, about uh, Sheng Shalkin and how I'm actually jealous, jealous of his career. Um, he made semi-final of a Grand Slam, quarter-final of a Grand Slam, uh, two times at, uh, as well at, the, at another Grand Slam. So he he had a phenomenal career. I think eleven titles, um, number uh, yeah, to, uh, top ten in the world. Uh, so unbelievable uh, career um, for for me. Um, when I made that semi-final, um, I didn't even know. But when I made that that uh, semi-final. I heard that I was only the third player in history of Holland to make a semi-final at a at a Master Series event, and Sheng Shalken uh, didn't even achieve that. So that says something about how difficult it is to to go far in those uh, events, and uh, it was uh, is something that I'm very very proud of. And and you reminded the Montreal crowd on that Saturday that my name is Robin. <laughs> that was ah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, uh, that uh, that sometimes I, in the highlights I still see that one uh, coming back. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun to see, and uh, I'm happy. Uh, one of the things I said earlier also, uh, I, I would like to entertain, and I think that was uh, that was part of it, and and it worked, and uh, people liked it, had to had a good laugh, and uh, and uh, unfortunately I, I didn't win the match, but I, I came close, so that was also nice. Hmm. Uh, you played Nadal, you played Federer, I'm sure you played all the other guys. So, out of the top guys, whose game do you find the most difficult to adjust to? They're all pretty unique. Uh, talk about, you know, some of those matches and who gives you the most trouble. Um, the most trouble by far is for me is uh, Djokovic, uh, by far. Um, he, yeah, he, he, he just makes me feel like I'm an amateur. Um, so, he, he's really, really, really... Uh, tough to play um i never came close um to actually win a set against him uh and where against the others i actually managed to win sets and almost managed to win the matches so um uh, yeah i have to say Djokovic. so what is about that game the completeness of his game there's no weak points you can exploit uh, elaborate a little bit more about novak yeah there's just uh, no weaknesses uh, at all uh, uh <laughs> Um, when I when I play against him uh, against the others, I actually I at least feel that I can do some damage with my serve. Uh, with him, I felt like I, I don't even know how to get an advantage on my serve. That's how big of a difference uh, it feels when I have to play him uh, compared to the others. So, uh, yeah, I, I I I just try to avoid him. So uh, <laughs> uh, he, he's uh, he's just that good. Yeah, he's looking pretty scary till coronavirus, you know, stopped tennis. Uh, he was on this crazy win streak. So, yeah, we'll, we'll never know how that streak would have gone. But hopefully we resume tennis in a couple of months and we get to see Novak and everyone else back on court. So uh, let's move on to other players. I was doing some research. I remember you have beaten Zvera a few times. You've beaten Dominic Team. You've beaten Wawrinka. Uh, is there a win that stands out where you were at the peak of your powers and the other player was also in form? Is there a result that stands out? Um... Well, uh, you mentioned one, for example, uh, Dominic Team. Uh, what I like about that, uh, about him, for example, is that I beat him in, on all three surfaces, so on clay, hard, and and, and grass. Um, um, one of the wins I always uh, like to remember is uh, is, for example, um, uh, Andy Murray, uh, because it was uh, at my uh, in Rotterdam at my home uh, with home crowd uh, cheering for me. 
a long, long time ago. Uh, I had a tactic uh, to play against him, and it really, really worked. So I, I, I always uh, will remember that match. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other matches like uh, against uh, David Ferrer and Davidenko, those kind of players, I, I, I never, when I always, well, how do I say, when I saw them play, I was like, oh, how, how, how can I beat them if I have to play them? And somehow I beat them both, and uh, and and uh, and that's uh, something I will never forget. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so let's talk about the Rotterdam tournament. Uh, as you try to you know reconstruct your ranking, you know, and come back to the top hundred, you I believe got a wild card, and uh, you drew David Goffin, and then uh, you played a almost I think a perfect match. You had him there, but then you know he happened to win that match in the third set, six four. Uh, talk about that importance of that event and meeting Goffin, because I've also seen Goffin as someone you've played quite often in the last four or five years. Talk about that matchup and the importance of your home tournament. Yeah, that, that that's a match uh, that uh, would have been very very nice to win uh, to get uh, uh, yeah some points in the in the rankings, uh, but also to get some confidence back uh, um, uh, that I I can beat these guys. Uh, unfortunately. Um, I seem to always have a chance ag- against Goffin, but I always seem to to manage to lose anyway. Uh, uh, I only beat him once, but uh, this was a match where, uh, again, where I actually uh, I, I told you before that there's a couple of matches where I think I didn't do much wrong. This was actually uh, one of them where where. And especially in this, in the state I've been playing over the last half a year to nine months, um, that was actually yeah, one of my best uh, match I played, um, and still lost because he he just stepped up at the most important points, uh, and he came with the better shots, and uh, that was very unfortunate because it really could have helped me kickstart my my comeback again. But uh, that's tennis; uh, it's tough. It's a very very competitive. Uh, uh, atmosphere out there and uh yeah if you if you can't win these matches uh, uh you you're just not good enough at that uh, moment true tennis has gotten older in the last decade or so you know federer at 38 you know novak playing some of his best tennis in world number one at you know he's going to be 32 uh so well, is robin has a uh, yeah, do you think you have played your best tennis your best tennis lies ahead and what's the goal right now i mean what's the con- how do you convince yourself to get back and compete against these younger, hungrier, hungry players who are coming because tour is such a revolving door. So talk about your age and what are the immediate goals? Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Uh, I, of course, I, sometimes you have your doubts. And uh, um, with me, my doubts uh, mostly come, not that I think I'm not good enough, but my doubts come from my body. Um, so in 2009 or 2008 and 2009, I had my knee surgeries. Uh, but since then, my knee has never been uh, 100%, actually far from it. Uh, sometimes uh, I feel like I'm playing on, uh, well, I say, one and a half leg. Um, um, I can't uh, practice as much as I want to. Uh, I have a lot of pain. Actually, I have pain every day. So so these kind of things uh, are not easy to, to, to deal with on a daily basis. But uh, in the end, I love tennis. It's a passion. Uh, I can, I can live from it, um, and I, I still want to, yeah, show people that I can still do it. But also for myself, uh, I'm not playing for others. I'm of course playing for myself, but I still have, I think, great tennis in my body left, uh, and and I'm trying to to push my limits, uh, and I hope I can still play a few more years, hopefully. Uh, however, if the body says it enough is enough, uh, I might be forced to to quit. And uh, will that also mean uh, you can, you'll, of course, you'll uh, do all the options before you come to that decision, but does it mean that you'll be, we'll see you more on a double score because you've had a pretty impressive doubles career so far too? Yeah. Um, uh, if I have to, to tell you right now, I would say uh, no, uh, because uh, if I just have to play doubles, I think uh, I won't do it. There's, uh, in the end, there's, for me, there's more in life than just tennis. Uh, and I will pursue other things. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, you never know how it goes. Uh, in the end, uh, um, I have a great life. Uh, tennis uh, is, is, is fun to play. If I would have a great partner that I can play 
to win big tournaments with uh, that, that that will always be an option uh, but right now I, uh, I I wouldn't choose that and that's that's also the reason why I'm playing challengers and not the big tournaments at the moment because uh, I really want to get back in the top 100 in singles uh, and therefore I, I, I just cannot play uh, uh, many doubles uh, events. And uh, going back to our conversation, the question I asked you in Montreal about Debacker, you said, you know, like he's gone through a lot and uh, there's a good arrogance that's needed to succeed in the tour. Now, you're in a somewhat of similar position. You haven't had his injuries or his, you know, his ranking kept dropping. You're still, I think, ranked, what, 174. Uh, so you think that good arrogance and experience is still needed to get through the rigors of the Challenger Tour? Because talk about the Challenger Tour, too, because it's not easy. The talent there is unbelievably good, and uh, you see a lot of good players on a weekly basis uh, playing the Challenger Weeks. Uh, yeah, no, uh, the, the Challenger level, just the, 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 the tennis level in general, uh, is much higher than in, in, in the last, uh, well, when I started, I have to say. Um, um, so it's, it's just uh, more competitive. Uh, maybe guys are not always playing their best tennis, but if you're unlucky, um, every, let's say it like this, everyone can beat everyone. Uh, however, there's a, still a reason why some guys are ranked 150 or 250 and not top 100 because they don't show it every single day. They show it maybe uh, once a week or twice a week. But if you're unlucky and you have to play them when they show it, well, you better play good, otherwise you lose. Um, and that's what happened to me also a couple of times now this year that that I actually didn't play that bad this year, um, but still lost because guys were playing just really, really good. Uh, so that means I have to to work on my game again and 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 maybe make some changes and hopefully uh, these things work and then you can uh, come back. Okay, let's wrap this conversation with a couple of questions on the finances of tour and then uh, one on Davis Cup and then you know we'll we'll let you go. So sure. there've been always articles about how you know the money in tennis, even for Federer when he's ranked as the most. Uh, paid sportsman. His money is coming mostly from endorsements. Uh, his on-court money is not same as what LeBron does or what Messi does because tennis does not have that kind of money. So, yes. And then there are articles uh, you hear about Davidenko and all these guys playing week in, week out because they know once they retire, the opportunity to make money is going to be less and some countries don't have endorsements to their players. And then there's Stakowski. So I'm throwing a lot at you. He said one year he made like 400K but take-home was less than 150 so talk about the travel of the tour all year long. On a good year, when you were, say, top 50, you travel all year, all over the world to play all tournaments. What is your expense like? Do you pay for the coach? I mean, if girlfriend or someone's traveling with you, uh, what hotels do you choose? Because, you know, these things are, I think, important. We don't enough hear from players. So what is your expense, say, in a New York City if you make, say, 10 days at the U.S. Open? Uh, well, th- those numbers I, I don't have exactly in my top of my head. Uh, I think there's a difference. Uh, um, I think uh, if you have a girlfriend or a wife and you take her with you, uh, that's that's your choice. Um, uh, that kind of doesn't really. Um, uh, True, that's a personal no, expense. That, yeah, that's a personal expense. So I, I wouldn't count those. But uh, um, I know my expenses uh, for the last since I'm actually. Uh, a professional player so let's say for the past 12 13 years uh, I spend between uh, 200 uh, and 230,000 uh, euro a year on my tennis um, so that's a lot of money um, I know that I spend a lot I know there's a lot of guys uh, especially on my ranking that they're not they're not spending that kind of money um, because they just also didn't make it uh, yet or they didn't have endorsements as you said um, it's, 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 um, it depends also which country you're from. Um, some, the salary and, and, and for a coach in Holland, Germany are higher than for a salary for a coach in Romania, for example. Um, so it's very tough to compare these, these things. Um, however, um, in the end it depends, yeah, you want to, you really want to invest, you want to get better. So you need a coach, you need a physio or you need uh, yeah, uh, physical trainer, um, and in the end, uh, that's up to you. Uh, uh, of course, if you if you can have more people working for you, uh, you have more chances to to probably also make more. Um, but in tennis, that's the most difficult thing or part because 
yeah, you don't you don't have a salary uh, as a soccer player that even if you're uh, injured, you have at least money coming into your bank. In tennis, you always have to make it make it every single week. That's why also a lot of players are playing every single week. Um, but it's 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 the way it is, and 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 it's tough. And what so, I what I yeah sorry. No, if you don't mind, I'll, let me break it down further. And yeah. uh, suppose you're in Cincinnati, you make say the Wednesday, you lose in the second round. Now the next tournament is Winston Salem. So how does that work? You book your own tickets, and you say, okay, you know, if I fly on the weekend, I'm already in the main draw. Uh, do you look at all these things? Because you know, I do that when I'm going to a tournament. I say, oh, which is the cheapest flight? Not, of course, a direct flight, but this is your career. And what kind of uh, expenses are? I mean, who's who's managing this for most players? And in your case, are you making those calls? Okay, let's fly on Friday. I get a better deal. And how far in advance do you make hotel bookings? Because for us fans, these are very fascinating things. Well, because we see you on court, but there's a whole career. You're making all these, you know, all these decisions that go with it. It's not just go in the court yeah. and hit ten aces. No, no, definitely. And uh, I think uh, it depends a little bit on again on your ranking. Maybe even friends that maybe can help you out because they have a uh, maybe they're in the business of flights or hotels. Uh, but uh, I, I do it on my own. I do or I do it with my team. So, for example, my coach he arranges the uh, car pickups. Uh, because those are are provided by the tournament, and he arranges the hotels. I arrange, for example, the flights. Um, of course, if I can, I try to book more in advance because then the flights are cheaper. Uh, so you do you do want to uh, yeah keep your cost as 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 low as possible. Um, however, because you never kind of know how well you play or what kind of tournaments you sometimes play if you're a certain ranking, you cannot book in advance. So then that means. The flights are maybe a little bit more expensive again, um, and that's just a part of a business in general. I think that's also in sports. I think what 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 is a little bit strange is in tennis we talk a lot about money all the time, and the, the media loves it. Uh, I I actually don't get it um, uh, because tennis players do have a good life. We do make a lot of money. Um, I think the 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 question that we as tennis players sometimes ask is more okay for example at the grand slams if the grand slams pay a certain amount of their revenue or their uh, of their or their just their prize money to the players is that the right amount and and that's where players sometimes complain because they feel like it's not the right amount which if you look at the numbers everyone will think the same um, but i feel like players always get uh, um, I don't know even the word for it, but we get harassed for speaking up that we should earn more money um, because then people always think immediately, well, why? You already make so much money. But that's actually the wrong question. Um, it is more like, what do we deserve? Um, and and I think tournaments and players um, uh, should both make money, but it should be, uh, should be in, uh, in a percentage-wise, better stake for the players. Yeah, which is fair only. And, uh, and you know, and I've, I've been into a few media rooms and I've seen nobody really wants to talk about the actual tennis. But there's a lot of tennis activism, different agendas, and people sometimes, you know, blow it out well, of proportion. Well, i tell you one, one, one quick story about a girl. She, uh, in Holland, she, she hasn't been in a Grand uh, Slam uh, main draw for four years. And then she, she qualifies. And the first question she gets is not hey congratulations or how was your match but the first question she gets from the media was so you made i don't know how much the amount was at that time but you made this x amount of money uh, will you go shopping now uh, that, i mean that 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 is for me just a lot of disrespect for an athlete uh, and 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 um, and i think that's i don't know why that is in tennis but it, it got to a stage where it's where it's in every article, and that's a pity. But it's it's the way it is, and uh, yeah, I think players have to deal with it. No, you're right. I think uh, I was in Miami, and I was in the first time, uh, and I was excited to be talking to players, and I requested Mariana Lucic. There are some people who are asking about why is she wearing the pink and who chose that. But yeah, you're right. People are obsessed with different storylines, and a lot of time it's not tennis. No, unfortunately not, but that's the way it is. Yeah. All right, so last question before we wrap this up. Uh, you had a couple of big wins in the Davis Cup. Uh, last year, again, Dan Evans, and then uh, 
uh, and you're still trying to build your ranking back. But I see uh, when you play for Holland, you you know that's such an equalizer. You play your best tennis. So uh, now that old Davis Cup is gone, and now there's the ATP Cup. Talk about that turnaround between the two tournaments, where of course nation versus nation is pride, and a lot of people want to do that. Looking at soccer and basketball, and that's tennis's history in Davis Cup. Talk about those two tournaments. Uh, can both of those tournaments exist? Or do you need to have one cup? Or has the old Davis Cup died? What are, there's so many thoughts around it. Uh, unpack it the way you want. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, no, there are. As you said, there are so many options. And uh, uh, I don't have the answer. Uh, I think no one has. Uh, I guess we have to see. You know, um, Maybe two events yeah, can happen. Uh, I think... However, the way it is now, it is going to be very tough because they're so close to each other. Um, um, they're, um, in, in general, I mean, I, I love the Davis Cup. I think it should have never changed uh, to a different format. Uh, I think within the format, we could have made uh, changes, but that's my personal view. Um, um, then if you, and then we actually go back to the, to the money again, if all the countries are making loss, it's not worth it. Um, so so it, it is tough. There's so many things you have to consider. Uh, also, if you want to have one big event, how, when are you going to do it? Uh, what are the rules? Uh, how can you qualify? Uh, all these kind of things. And I think uh, at least the way it is now, uh, players, okay, now I'm in the situation where I'm ranked 160, but I'm still be able to play the Davis Cup where there's actually a lot of money to make. So if, if we as a group can qualify for that, that means actually the whole Dutch Davis Cup team can have their own coach for a year. I mean, that helps a lot of players. If you don't have that anymore, um, uh, yeah, maybe some players will actually quit tennis because they just can't risk anymore just uh, spending uh, uh, money from their parents or sponsors. That was, again, uh, as insightful as the whole interview. I fully enjoyed it, Robin. Thanks for doing this. And hopefully the listeners here tune in and enjoy every moment of you know your insightful and uh, heartfelt, honest answers. So thanks for coming to Tennis with an Accent. Uh, this is one of the best interviews I've been part of. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, a little bit too. And, uh, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Thank you for having me again. And uh, I wish you all the best uh, with uh, some other interviews.